This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It felt like I had no control. I was just making what I thought was really good art that should reach a lot of people and it wasn't going anywhere. And I do have some evidence that that was the case because after that blew up, a bunch of my old videos blew up too. Welcome to Creative Elements, a show where we talk to your favorite creators and learn what it takes to make a living from your art and creativity. I'm your host, Jay Klaus. Let's start the show. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Creative Elements. I made something that I'm super proud of this week. It's a new dedicated website for this show. For a long time, Creative Elements has lived on my personal website, jklaus.com, and it's always been kind of a regret that I had because I've become more and more of the opinion that my projects should have their own dedicated websites and my personal website will serve as a hub for my writing and just link out to those projects. But as I'm sure you know, building a website you're happy with takes quite a bit of work, so I never fix that mistake. But then this week, I found an awesome software called PodPage that made it so easy to make an awesome website for the show with dedicated pages for each episode, a public display of ratings and reviews, and more. If you're a podcaster yourself, I have an affiliate link in the show notes that you can see what your show website would look like for free. They'll literally generate the website for you for free, and it just takes about five minutes. There are specifically two features that I would love for you to check out on the new creativeelements.fm website. First, it has a built-in voicemail feature. You can record a voice message right from your phone or computer and send it right to me. Just go to creativeelements.fm and click the send me a voicemail tab on the right-hand side of the page. I'd love to do a listener Q&A episode in the coming weeks, so record a question you'd like for me to talk about. It could be about a specific episode, a theme we've heard throughout the show, or anything else. Just go to creativeelements.fm to leave a voicemail. And second, while you're there, you can sign up to receive the email I send each week with the episode where I share how and why I booked the guest. If you're trying to get better at getting in touch with people that you want to talk to, these emails will help. Not to mention, it adds a little bit more depth to each episode. Okay, enough about me and my website. Today on the show, I'm talking with an amazing creator whose work I stumbled upon on YouTube where she has 362,000 subscribers. Her name is Ali Spagnola, and she makes outrageous videos like covering a room of her apartment in fur, or covering a wall in 3,200 pop sockets, or even doing ridiculous things to her car. Hey, Best Pally, I'm Allie, and you may remember me from such things as covering my car in blue astroturf. Well, as I've been driving my fake grass around, I couldn't help but think, fake is good, but living is more outrageous. Can I turn? my car into a giant chia pet. Allie has more than 32 million views on her YouTube videos and joined the platform really early in 2006, but maybe not for the reason that you'd expect. 
Oh, I was using YouTube at that time for a portfolio. I was an art student, and so I was putting my animations online. I was definitely not trying to be a YouTube personality. I actually found Allie's work because of her music videos, where she takes a popular song and remixes it into the style of another artist. Here's a clip of her turning Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo into a song by Adele. Found a new girl and it only took a couple weeks Remember when you said that you wanted to give me the world Well good for you, you look happy and healthy Not me if you ever care to ask But what I found out in researching this episode is that Allie is actually creating on a lot of platforms. She has more than 500,000 followers on Facebook, 812,000 followers on TikTok, a Patreon earning nearly $2,000 per video, and more than 2 million followers on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter was the main one that I was on and posting. Jeez, I would post like every hour some joke or some sort of question or picture. I don't even know if there's pictures at the time, but I was heavy on Twitter. I look back and I'm like, geez, I'm good if I get one tweet out a day now. Throughout this interview, Allie talks a lot about the role of luck in her success and the frustration that comes when it seems like luck isn't around. In fact, she says a big reason she built such a large following on Twitter was being on the platform early on and being one of Twitter's suggested follows. That was when people were getting on the platform and be like, hey, you might like this comedian weirdo that's fighting a legal case. Follow her. (laughs) And we definitely talk about that legal case, too. So in this episode, we talk about Allie's beginnings on YouTube, how her first viral success came on what she thought would be her last upload to the platform, the frustration of catering to algorithms, and the role of luck in breaking through. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. As you listen, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. And don't forget to check out the new website. Let me know what you think. This is a really fun episode. I bring in a lot of Allie's work throughout. So let's get into it. Let's talk with Allie. Well, I was a musician and realized that selling out a 500-seater would be an incredible evening, but making a YouTube video that gets 500 views would be a pretty crappy level of exposure on that platform. The amount that you can reach is so much bigger online, so I stopped focusing on touring and playing and convincing my friends to show up to shows and started making things that could reach people online. Was that popular in the music community at the time? Because I think YouTube started in like 2005, right? So even being aware of it two years in seems like a thing. That was still MySpace days. I was doing that too. But it seemed like you could garner some attention on the internet. I think it was Colby Calais who they said came Mm -hmm. up on MySpace, which is interesting. I also think she has a family member in the industry, which, which helped. But it's a good story to say, oh, you got discovered online. So what was your first kind of foray into YouTube for music then? Jeez, I don't know. Did you look back? <laughs> what yeah, I, I did. Up? I did. Well, what came up was <laughs> an album. I have it right in front of me. We have an album, The Ego. Yeah, that was tell my me, pop Tell album. me about this album. Well, that's interesting that that one is what I have up first. I did a power hour before that. The Ego was 
more of me being a traditional musician making pop music that's more serious. But I, before that, did a bunch of comedy music and had a live show that was an interactive party where I would just invite people to drink. <laughs> I do I do see three uh, happy hour songs first, actually. 60 songs, yeah. and they're all one minute long. And I did want to talk about this. So, okay, if that came before the album, you went from Portfolio straight into Power Hour on YouTube. How did that happen? <laughs> I was still doing that. It was I was in art school and playing music around and realized that it, as I mentioned earlier, I was begging people to come to my shows, but nobody wants to see some boring chick in a coffee shop strumming a guitar to songs you don't know. At the same time, I was also hosting power hour parties, which were so easy to get people to come to. I would make a mix, uh, one minute songs. This is a drinking game I didn't invent. It's, it's just that I would make a playlist of popular music and then everybody would come and you'd take a shot of beer every minute for an hour. Which first seems easy and then seems really hard. It ends up being between six and eight beers. But it's it's just a really inclusive, fun way to play a drinking game. And I realized I wanted my shows to be like that. So I turned my show into that same game. I wrote one minute songs. They were all funny and jokes about drinking. It sounds like a good idea, but it's not. Take off your pants and climb that sculpture. Crush your can with your head and yell at the bouncer. Punch a wall and sleep at a frat. Race a bus and shave the cat. It sounds like a good idea, but it's not. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea, but it's not. And started playing that live, and it went from begging people to come see me strum a guitar to lines around the block at bars in Pittsburgh. It was so easy to market. It was super fun. Bars would roll out the red carpet and give us free beer for the hour because they knew people would stick around and make a bunch of money. And then I started putting that on the internet. I love that. This is amazing. Okay, so the first iteration, you were doing 60-second covers at first before you wrote your own songs? I did my, all my own songs first, but I also still to this day play covers as a power hour. Amazing. It's kind of like a wedding band that gives up after a minute is what I say about my cover show. <laughs> I remember. So this is I see that these were posted 10 years ago. And I think back 10 years ago, that's when I was in my dorm room doing power hours. And it was actually difficult to find one that I hadn't listened to a bunch of times. It was like the same three alt rock power hours on Vimeo that I was <laughs> listening to. And they were great, but it started to get a little bit sad for me since it was just like the same thing over and over again. Tell me about this first experience going into an actual bar and doing a live show. Who did you tell that you're going to do this? And what was their response? 
I told my group of friends and then word of mouth. I'm not kidding. The first show had a line around the block. It was ridiculous. I was like, wow, why? This is so easy. I don't know why I haven't been doing this longer when before that playing live music felt like such a struggle. But it really was that I was throwing a party instead of trying to get people to care about my art. (laughs) And what was your aspiration at this time? Were you thinking like, I'm going to go to Nashville eventually and have a whole music career and this is step one of that or... Yeah, it was like that. I knew that I wanted to keep playing music, and that seemed to be the way to play live successfully, so I kept at it. But that's also about the time that I happened to get into a lawsuit about the Power Hour, and it was an interesting story that this guy tried to trademark the term, which is like saying, oh, I invented poker and no one can play poker anymore, and it's my word which is what he was doing with his drinking game. And so I fought him. But that story just happened to go viral on Reddit, which garnered me a lot of attention, which was lucky and awesome and super helpful to my initial growth on Twitter. And it just grew from there that I knew that I should keep putting things online and and creating in that space. This is the onion I started to peel as I was reading your about page (laughs) earlier today. So this guy had tried to trademark the term power hour, not necessarily like the medium of a power hour, because can you even trademark that? Like, what was his claim here? I don't think you can trademark gameplay, but the name, yes. He trademarked the term power hour within the drinking game realm. The problem is that no one at the trademark office had ever played one, nerds. And so they just immediately (laughs) issued it to him. And then he started defending his mark, which, which he's, you're supposed to do. If you have a trademark, you have to st- stop other people from using it. Otherwise, it'll get what's called diluted and it won't be worth anything and you'll get it revoked. And so he was doing what he was supposed to, defending his mark, but he should never have been the is- issued the mark in the first place. And I said that in the courts after having paid $30,000 in legal fees. It was interesting because since he was issued the trademark, I was the aggressor. I was the one trying to get it revoked from him. So instead of him being the bad guy in the situation, I was. So I ended up paying all these legal fees and not getting them back from him in any way. Wow. Okay. So how did you receive notification that this man was saying, you've got to stop doing this? A personal email from this gentleman. From the person directly, not like a lawyer. He was like, hey, and what was his tone? Was Oh, he-, he may have made a fake lawyer email address that I pretty much established was him. But yeah, uh, it was just very formal. It, he just said, you got to stop doing this. And I and that was my bold time thing at the time. I mean, I was I was still in college, but I was doing it and making money. And it was it was my job. And he just took away my income. Yeah, it'd be a super bummer. I mean, a lot of times people get like a cease and desist and like, I guess I'll cease and desist. But a lot of times it's not also their living that they're, you know, really leading into right now. So you said, I'm going to fight this. And you just said that it kind of went viral on Reddit. Tell me that story. Well, everybody loves the traditional story of a young girl fighting an evil man trying to stop people from drinking, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like the perfect setup to go viral on on specifically Reddit. And then a bunch of people just got behind me and were like, yeah, 
fight this guy. And so I spoke to a lawyer and the lawyer in no way had any idea that it would end up being that amount that I said, $30,000. It was, it was supposed to be quick and whatever. And I, and I knew that I was going to win. So I went for it, but he dragged things out, took as long as possible, kept spending my time, which is my lawyer's time, which is my money. And the money just kept ballooning up. But you know, when you're in a tunnel and you're like, well, I've gone this far, I'm not going to stop now. That's some sort of logical fallacy. I forget what it's called, where you've already spent sunk cost. There we go. Literally costs. And I'm sitting there being, well, the end of the tunnel is almost here after $2,000. I should definitely keep going. And then somehow we get to 30K, but I won. After a quick break. Allie and I continue her winding journey to online video creator. And spoiler, it has not been an easy road. We'll be talking a lot about burnout, so stick around and we'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash j. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash j and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another, which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash creator. Welcome back to my conversation with Ali Spagnola. 
After Allie won her $30,000 lawsuit and freed the term power hour to be used by herself and others, I wondered what she did next with this heightened public profile. I did a Kickstarter, or it was on Indiegogo. And I said, well, Power Hour is free now. I need to do a tour of the country playing them all across the U.S. Thanks for all the moral support. And I raised 40K and toured the U.S. in an RV getting drunk with America. It was pretty crazy. Gosh. And it was, it's so hard to pinpoint. It was really fun, too, because I was touring with a DJ, so not a full band. It was me and my DJ, and then an opening act. I would have to say that's the highlight. I found an opening act online. I did an open call for any weirdo that wanted to warm up a power hour crowd. So that's a pretty wide call. It ended up being an air guitarist and he yes (laughs) so he would play insane 80s music it's like lip syncing but physical dance it's he's so impressive it was just like an incredible opener to to get everyone amped as this weird performative art thing and the three of us got an rv and went around the u.s it was really fun amazing what happened at the end of this tour It's all slow and overlapping. There's no one moment where I'm like, this is my big thing that did whatever. And now I'm this. It was just continually creating stuff, putting it online, trying different places. I mean, I was even a pretty big Viner at the time that (laughs) R.I.P. And so I can't say that anything was more calculated than just keep making things and putting them public. Were you inspired by or modeling after any other kind of early digital creators? Because YouTube was early when you started uploading things on YouTube. Power hours were like just a thing when you fought this legal suit. Then Vine, short life, sounds like you were there from the beginning. What were you looking towards to say, okay, this is what I'm going to try next? Yeah. I mean, there were, when I started on YouTube, there were already some pretty big names on there. I mean, pretty big for the time, right? But what was really big was vlogging and jump cuts. And I think that's just because of the medium that nobody's going to have a two camera shot and make really smooth movements between camera cuts. But it also helps, I think, with the comedy. And so I leaned into the jump cut thing to try and make abrupt changes, especially on a joke, to heighten the unexpectedness of a video and basically make it more funny. I honestly will time my jump cuts to to heighten my own crappy jokes at times. <laughs> Up to this point, we've been talking a lot about all the things that Allie was making during this time, but I was curious if she was full-time on her art or if she was working a job through this time as well. I had a couple of jobs. I worked at a couple of startups. Uh, I was in Pittsburgh. I was a lead artist at a video game company. I worked at Google remotely for a while. I... Definitely did the whole nine to five thing, but then from five to nine, I was doing music and videos and putting stuff online. It wasn't until five years ago that it was clear that I didn't, I shouldn't do the normal job thing anymore and devote all of my time to the internet art. And that was because the internet art was going so well or because it was difficult for those two things to coexist? No, I got really lucky and the company I worked at went under. 
<laughs> it was a startup that failed. And so I was laid off and I was on unemployment and it wasn't succeeding at all. I was not making money online, but I had time to keep working on it because of that. So I was kind of making unemployment and, and posting a lot of stuff. And that sort of helped me transition because I don't know, I'm kind of not a risk taker, even though it seems that I'm so bold online. I don't know if I, I would have left my job for quite a while because I didn't, that because the internet wasn't supporting me. What was keeping you going? If you felt like monetarily, this isn't supporting me. Like I can see where that would be a route you could go down your head. Like, uh, why am I even doing this? So what kept you going? Cause it's awesome. The same reason you're doing this podcast. <laughs> it's so rewarding internally. It's fun to make something and say, Hey, look what I made. And the internet is created just for that. Okay. So in 2017, I know you started your Patreon. Hey, Best Pally, I'm Allie. And what I do for a living is make the world more outrageous through the help of people like you. Sweet! What does that mean? I create cool stuff online. Music, comedy, fitness. Basically, I make silly, epic decisions in my everyday life because it's funny and spreads happiness. And how do I survive by making outrageous full-time? How do I pull this off? Because there's an awesome team of people Ahem, could be you. My best pallies that believe in what I do. It's kind of like these people are my outrageous record label. Like they decided, that artist, we know she makes cool stuff. Let's invest in her so she can keep making that stuff. Like, are you kidding me? That's dope. What was the signal that, okay, it's time to start the Patreon? Was it because this job had left and you needed to do something? Or did you have some feeling that this will work now? Oh, I didn't know how well it would work. Goodness, that I guess you, you could call that a turning point because holy crap, it it worked. People supported me. And from then on, I was a full-time creator. I did it because, I don't know, I'd known some people that had and I knew I was making stuff consistently already. And I thought it would help me to consistently make more because now I'm held accountable to this page or the people that are watching. And so um, as an experiment, I just launched and tried it. And uh, my patrons are amazing. And it's been amazing since then. Holy crap. Well, today I can see that you have 360 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, I don't Snapchat or no. Oh, man. 360,000. Sorry. <laughs> what happened? I mean, With it's still good. I'm very happy. With a K. <laughs> Do you remember any of the metrics at the time pre-Patreon or like right before you launched the Patreon? Yeah, maybe like 15,000, 10,000. Crazy. Yeah. So growth has been crazy since the Patreon. No, no, that's also nutso because it was really still slow growth for the longest time. I was at 30K for like years, I think. I did have a viral moment, I guess, on YouTube specifically that took me from between 30 and 60 to where you see me now. Crazy. What was that moment? So <laughs> this is another luck thing. I made a video, my last video on YouTube. I emailed my editor and said, this is it. We're done. I'm never making another YouTube video. And this one was one that I did for myself. I was like, this is fine. I'll just do something that'll bomb again, but I want to do it. So I'm doing it. And I turned Billie Eilish bad guy to a Megan Trainer song. So you're a tough guy, really like it rough guy, just can't get enough guy, just always so puffed guy. I'm the bad type, make your mama sad type, make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type. I'm the bad guy. Of course. Of course. 
which is another lucky thing. I was going to title it, What If Billie Eilish, or What If Bad Guy Was a Happy Song? And I th- and I spoke to one of my friends who's also a YouTuber, and she said, no, put Megan Trainer in the title, that'll help. And I'm wondering if it hadn't, if it wouldn't have blown up had I not just happened to switch it last minute. Anyway, that got 4 million views, which is the most I've ever had on YouTube. And ah, I look back at that time and... Even my other YouTuber friend, Christopher Bill, agrees. He said, doing bad guy at that time was the cheat code to YouTube. No matter what bad guy title you video you had, if you had that in the title, it would just go viral. And I thought at the time, whoa, I stumbled on something great. I'm making things that work on YouTube. I'm going to keep doing this as a format, which I did. Now, now I have a series called What If, where I change one song to a different artist style. But really, I do think it had nothing to do with that format. And it was just that anybody who did Bad Guy blew up, which also got me a bunch of subscribers really helpful. And of course, I leaned into that. But otherwise, I was done on YouTube. I was not going to make any more there. Uh, So many paths I want to go down here. Um, So that was the first What If video. Yeah, which wasn't considered a format. I was just thinking that that song was crazy and I wanted to play with it. What was going on? Like, why did you send that email to your editor to say, I'm done on YouTube? Because such the slow growth. I was not being rewarded on that platform. It felt like I had no control. I was just making what I thought was really good art that should reach a lot of people. And it wasn't going anywhere. And I do have some evidence that that was the case because after that blew up, a bunch of my old videos blew up too, which had... Uh, for example, my the the video where I turn my room into a fur room and I cover floor to ceiling in fur. I made that and I was like, "This is this is great. This is definitely viral potential. This is a good watch, I, and it should reach a lot of people." And it just bombed, absolutely fizzled like everything else I was putting on there. So it was really frustrating because I just blamed myself, figuring I don't know what good is. But then when the other video went viral, then that one took off and got over a million views too. And so I don't know what was happening there, but YouTube decided the video was bad and then decided the video was good. And that lack of control is why I wanted to give up and why I still want to give up at this point sometimes. (laughs) I feel this on such a visceral level. And I think a lot of people listening to this will too, because you'll make something and you'll be like, this actually is good. Like, this is one I'm proud of. And then you're like, here we go. I'm pushing the button. I'm sending it out. And then just nothing. Right. And that's not necessarily a mark on the quality of the thing. Like, we live in this magical, frustrating time of distribution. (laughs) Yeah. It's a slot machine. (laughs) They put rats in a cage and then they... They made this button to push, and sometimes the button gives them food, and sometimes the button doesn't. And it is random, and the rats go insane. They go (laughs) clinically crazy pushing the button because they don't have control, and that's the definition of a slot machine, and that's also the definition of how I feel YouTube works. Were you also giving up on other platforms, or were you going to say, I'm going to just focus my attention over here instead? Yeah, it was that this platform isn't serving me. I should do work, focus on one that is. And it still kind of is the case. I, I do way better on other platforms, but something about, I don't know, maybe I just like an abusive date because I, I, I focus so much on YouTube when it's not the one that's serving me the most. It's also weird though to say, hey, I'm a Facebooker. 
like, no, you say I'm a YouTuber. So maybe there's just some sort of cultural thing in that too, that I want to grow on there and optimize for that platform. When we come back, Allie and I talk about the other platforms she creates for, her process for creating videos, and the challenges that come with being consistent across all of those platforms, right after this. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters, featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com science. That's podcastmovement.com science. Hey, welcome back. Before the break, Allie told us that she was at a breaking point where she was going to give up on YouTube and focus on other platforms that were serving her more, like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, or TikTok. But her recent viral success drew her back into YouTube, where she says she actually begins the creative process for other platforms. That's where I start my concept, where I, I start with, honestly, the title and thumbnail. If I can't think of what would be clickable, because that's the first thing that shows to people, even if it's a great story, if I can't summarize it in that, it's not worth making. So that's where I put most my time on my long form videos. And then from there, I'll recut and make things fit the language of the platform in other places. You said Facebook. Facebook. I know you're on Twitter. Twitter. Instagram. Yes. TikTok. TikTok is where it's happening? No, uh, that's the Snapchat biggest slot machine too. ever. Oh my goodness, that is all based on luck. Well, yeah, I know it's like universal content distribution is the buzzwordy thing people say about TikTok, but this does seem like your style of videos seems like something that would work really well on TikTok. It so does, tell me about your it? TikTok My last experience. five just bombed <laughs> and they're brilliant. Tell me you have anxiety without telling me you have anxiety. I got 3,200 pop sockets and made a giant fidget wall. They're, they're optimized perfectly for TikTok and speaks exactly the, the language that it needs to, whatever. Or, or I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and real quick, you, you're on Snapchat as well. That's where you're documenting a lot of this, right? Yeah. Okay. Snapchat, and, and then those go to Instagram stories. So you're on like all these places and there's some, there's some efficiencies here for sure. Nothing but... is efficient, my goodness. I definitely need to be faster at my, my distributing things. <laughs> Well, how do you think about managing all these then? Because you could just say like, you know what? I'm just going to do 
double the output on YouTube and not spend the time cutting these into different formats for TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram and all these things. How do you think about that? Well, previously in our conversation, we spoke about Vine, <laughs> which was a, a decent chunk of my income at the time. I took a big hit when that disappeared and also emotional hit. Like, what? What? A, okay, I was I felt like I had a sort of personality there. And now that that's gone, I just didn't want that to happen again. And it almost did, right? TikTok was almost gone, which I was kind of like, ha ha, everyone, suck it. I'm such a jerk. <laughs> like laughing at people panicking. That was such a good panicking. Nelson laugh. <laughs> right? Ha ha! But yeah, I, I focus on all of these platforms because I've seen them disappear. And not just going away, but sometimes my Twitter is, is just not doing well because it's after the holidays and nobody's on there or whatever. And so then you have to focus on another one to to get by, but dropping any of them feels unintelligent business-wise. So how do you think about the business as a whole then? What, how do you think about the thing that you're building and like the engine that you're building? When do you know it's healthy versus something needs to change? Healthy business, right? We're not talking about my mental state. Correct. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Yes. We can talk about that next though, because that's an <laughs> integral part, I'm sure. Funny. Yeah, it's tough because I should be a better business person, I think. I should be thinking about 10 years from now, five years from now, five days from now even. Yeah, this is, again, me sort of taking things as they come and and this luck thing about being being open to what happens and opportunities as I see them. So I don't know what's the next thing that's going to go viral on Twitter or TikTok or if I should change from doing so much music to doing DIY stuff, like my art pieces. And I guess it is more reactive, which makes me feel like a bad business person. But it, yeah, I really don't have that sort of long-term idea of where this is going. What about the, the feedback loops you have from people on different platforms, whether it's the YouTube community or Patreon, you know, you said sometimes you'll make something and it will kind of just fizzle. I would imagine that a lot of your like subscribers and the people that are paying closest attention are seeing just about everything that you're putting sure. out. So how do you gauge from them on what's what's good or what they like? Do you what what's that feedback loop like? Oh God, my patrons are worthless. Those oh those jerks like everything I make. <laughs> they're so sweet. <laughs> No, I do. I have a Discord. I'm very active in it, and we all hang out in there, and it's my very close pallies that join through Patreon. And I will show them early stuff. I'll ask their opinions. It's all very positive, and it's tough. And like I said, I do music and I do art, and I feel like that almost screws me in the algorithm trying to convince the slot machine to show me to people they don't know if they should show me to music fans or art fans. And mm. so they show me to no one. So I should maybe decide which one I should do. But I honestly, I'll do a poll and it'll be 50-50. Keep doing them both. We love it. And so, yeah, the feedback loop is fantastic for my ego, but maybe not for my algorithmic discussions. <laughs> yeah, it's so tough because, you know, it, it seems like it would make sense. The people who already love my stuff, there's got to be just like a ton more of those people, right? So if right. they love this stuff, there should be a ton of people that love this stuff. Why doesn't it get in front of them? But I, I hear what you're saying about like the slot machines want specificity mm -hmm. and predictability. So that's that's got to be kind of challenging. That's why I started a fitness channel because it's only fitness health kind of things. And I know that that 
that serves the algorithm better. And also it was, it's good to get that out of my, at least art music channel, because it is so different. And then I can be so specific over there and grow that, that type of people that want to watch that and not annoy the people that like music with me lifting. How long has that channel existed? Over a year. I've been doing that. And has that specificity, have you seen like a return on that? It seems easier to make stuff. It's, I can't say that it's grown like crazy. After a year plus, it's at 25K or something. It's still kind of a passion project, but I, it's stuff that I would be doing anyway. You know, I would be experimenting with new fitness tech or doing workouts or whatever. So it's cool that I have somewhere to put that. Well, I love the art stuff and I love the music stuff. I think I found you initially because I fell down a Alex Melton rabbit hole of like this music in this style. And then there was a crossover video you guys did Mm -hmm. and I found your stuff. Hey, Best Pally, I'm Allie. And a 17 year old is having insane success with a hit song right now. So my jealous self is here to turn Olivia Rodrigo's creation into something she never wanted. A punk song that sounds like it's performed by naked dudes. So welcome to my attempt to turn Driver's License into a Blink-182 song, which Olivia wasn't even alive when Blink was popular, which is good music. Get off my lawn. Okay, I joke, but actually Driver's License is a beautiful piece of artwork from a child. The vocals are just so delicate and lovely and emotional. Oh, vocals! This musician, Alex Melton, did a Blink-182 cover of Semi-Charmed Life. Which I saw multiple times because so many of my friends texted it to me being like, Hey, have you seen this guy? So my jealous self emailed him saying, What I want from you is your voice. And he agreed! Heck yeah! So he's putting his vocals on this track. I'm like, yes, this is the stuff that I'm looking for. The what if style of videos. I love that stuff. (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know if that's a genre on YouTube yet, but it should be. Or at least like a Peloton ride playlist, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So did you try to do another tour after that initial Kickstarter tour? I didn't because, again, like I said, though, I mean, I was playing 100 seaters in that one. And and I was putting out videos reaching millions of people. So I went with the millions reach. I know it's a different emotional kind of thing, but yeah, it just seemed like that was where I belonged mentally, artistically. Mentally, artistically, all these platforms creating all the time for 15 years. How do you avoid burnout? I don't. I just live in it. I'm living in it right now. Are we done yet? I got to go get to work. (laughs) (laughs) That's a serious question though, because that's a serious answer. I'm not okay. It well, tell me about that. Yeah. What what prevents you from taking a break? Honestly, it's not a fear of losing my income or like being a bad business person because I know people worry about that and say, well, the money will be there when you get back. That's not what's, I'm not motivated by that. It really is, I'm motivated by reaching people. And I've heard so many things about you have to post consistently for these algorithms to serve you. I feel like a lot of my business is trying to figure out artificial intelligence and what it's doing 
and serve it correctly so I can reach more people, you know, figure out the slot machine, try and create luck that way. And it's tough because I don't feel like I have control, but the one thing that everyone says is be consistent in your posting. When I launched on Patreon, I said, okay, well, I'm going to post every Thursday and I haven't missed a week. And now it's twice a week since then, not once. And that is what drives me is to trying is not losing my reach. Yeah. I feel like people underestimate, I've certainly done this, underestimate just the, the ongoing cost of the commitments that you make that are like consistent commitments, whether it's okay, I'm going to post this often on YouTube and also on TikTok and also on Instagram and also have an email newsletter. It's like suddenly your whole week is filled with something that you have to create once a week. Yes. More than once a week. Oh, you got an email newsletter too, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> once a month, got but it should be more. That's another thing. I mean, there are YouTubers that are posting three times a week is what I've heard optimal. There are, there are gamers that post three times a day and I'm out here working my butt off to the last minute to try and publish every two weeks on my main channel now. And it feels like not enough. You know, it's never enough. And I know that that certainly isn't healthy, but, uh, you know, that I still am rewarded mentally. There's definitely so much positive about it, but the the feeling that I have to is pretty rough too. And I also feel like even if I didn't have to, I would probably still make at this blinding speed, you know, but the fact that it's there makes it more stressful. What about the the Patreon side of things with This is what I think about if if, you know, myself or other creators want to move towards a membership model, whatever that looks like, that commitment to the people who are supporting you can also feel kind of constraining at times. I think, you know, I think I've talked to creators that paid newsletters, for example, where that's kind of burning them out because they know, well, I would take time off, but this is literally the deliverable that people are paying for. So I have to put that out there. Do you feel any of that pressure? I do not. Once again, my patrons are such jerks. The other day, I I think I undercharged for a month and one of them just Venmoed me being like, hey, I noticed you're trying to not take my money. It's ridiculous. Wow. Uh, the, but I think this is a result of the community that I've built. So hopefully this could help some people that are aiming to launch on a paid subscription kind of thing, a paywall or a Patreon or whatever, OnlyFans. I've built a community that is there emotionally not for stuff so nothing in my deliverables is a physical thing or something where you could analytically think hey is this mug worth 25 dollars it is just i'll tweet at you i will be super excited in a video for you you get to hang out with all of us in a discord they're only emotional rewards and so i know that everyone is there just because they want to see me keep making stuff and they want to be a part of it and they're awesome. And so even if I don't make things, I know they would still pay. They would still support me. No, no one ever gets disappointed. If anything, they're like, would you take a vacation? They're going to watch this and be like, stop burning out. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And, you know, Patreon is a place where you don't have to worry about a slot machine to be able to reach those people. Like you have that consistent ability to do that. Have you thought about that in or explored that in other platforms or aspects of your business to say, like, actually, I want to move people from YouTube over to this space because I can be more reliable. And maybe that is Patreon, but that's obviously behind a paywall. 
Right. Yeah, I do want to consistently move people to Patreon. I don't know any other platform that is more reliable because all of these big ones with their artificial intelligence are the way you get a wider reach of new people. So even though I feel like I have this consistent reach on Patreon to grow, you still need TikTok. You still need the algorithm, those those platforms that that are slot machines. Totally. I mean, there's very little discoverability in podcasting because it is direct. It's an RSS feed, but you have to find it. You have to subscribe to it. There are like, you know, podcast players that will recommend things and have a discover section, but there's almost no like organic discovery in podcasting, which is frustrating. But I know when I put this episode out, anyone who's subscribed to it is going to show up in their feed. They're going to see it. That's nice. How have you looked at growth on podcasting? It's tough. You can really only convert people who have demonstrated they want to listen to audio to listen to audio. Like it doesn't work to get a plug in an email newsletter, whether it's free or paid. Like it's just too much of a barrier to say, oh, I like podcasts. I'm going to click through to that. There's, There's not even a very easy mechanism from internet link clicking into opening the episode that episode in the player that I want. Mm-hmm. Like there's even just like a linking challenge. It's bizarre. I don't it's know how any podcast grows, honestly. <laughs> it's all, it's pretty much all word of mouth or yeah. getting featured in those discovery sections. Like oh, right. a lot of the growth of the shows come from being featured in Stitcher or Pocket Cast or CastBox or Apple Podcasts at right. one point, but not for a long enough period of time. What are you thinking about for the future of of your creator business? You know, you said you're like live in a perpetual state of burnout at times, it feels like, <laughs> but you're creating constantly and the videos are really high quality. Thank so you. what what is pushing you now? Do you have any measurable like thresholds of this is the next goal I'm trying to hit? Yeah, what the bottleneck is me right now. I am hands on on a lot of things and I need to build a team to maybe not remove that burnout, but at least make things faster and easier and better. Like you said, I appreciate you. (laughs) Thank you on the production comment. I want to make bigger and better things and more of it. So I, the, the thing to do is to get more people in on it. And that's actually really tough. I'm terrible at interviewing and, and even writing roles. So that's, that's been tough for me. You mentioned it earlier. You had an editor. What's the team look like now? Me and said editor, who's awesome, by the way. She's freaking fantastic. And I've been through maybe a dozen to get to her. That's another thing. That's another barrier. I, like It was so hard to find an editor that I liked and that we worked so well together and I may lose her at any point. Then finding more people for that team, it just seems like a really big hole in my skills. <laughs> How long does it take you to produce one of these videos? Like, Talk to me about just the process front to back. I mean, uh, want to say my most recent, oh, uh, my, my Chia Pet video. I don't know if you saw where I turned my car into a living Chia Pet. That took months. There was a lot of preparation and testing and actually getting the thing to grow. It's funny because in a lot of my videos, I just wear the same outfit the whole time. So people think I do it in 24 hours. <laughs> But yeah, that things like those elaborate DIY projects take a really long time. The music stuff I can crank out a little faster. It's about a week or two, depending upon how crazy I get with the music video. But yeah, it just seems like they're they're all back to back. As soon as I hit publish, I've I've already started on others, and they're all kind of going at the same time. I was I was just rewatching the uh, the Lizzo and Mumford Brothers video. Oh. 
And I was watching the back and forth, the way you cut it with your collaborator and you would cut back to you and you're wearing the same thing. And yeah. I was like, how does that work? Yeah, we just did it in an <laughs> afternoon. It's fine. I don't think anybody thinks that hard about it. It really is just that I'm, I don't want to think about wardrobe more than once for a video. So I'll just wash it and put it back on. But that, yeah, that was over the course of a long time. She actually came to LA. Um, we did a video for her channel but it seems like, oh, yeah, I just emailed her a track and then we finished the song that day. And that's not what happened. How do you decide when to do a collaboration? Well, Alex was a decision because a bunch of people texted me being like, did you see this guy? And so I just cold email. Thanks goodness he wrote back. But yeah, it just seems like whomever I feel like it would we could make something cool together. And there are a lot of times where there are people that I know that are creators that I just we can't think of a concept, so we don't do anything. So it sounds like a lot of times you're working on several videos in tandem. Yes. How many typically? Right now I have three at various states of progress. That's good. I'm getting better. I'm honestly trying to batch more to possibly be able to have some room to breathe, but it seems more like now I just have multiple projects running at once. <laughs> if people were looking to get started on say YouTube today, because that's where we talked about the most. If you were starting from scratch today on YouTube, how would you approach it to give yourself a good shot? Oh God. You're grimacing. I need to call that out for people Don't. who are watching this. Oh yeah. <laughs> I keep forgetting that this is not video. You're missing some visual gold people. Uh, I'm in a full clown costume. Okay. I would say don't. Okay. That's crappy. Uh <laughs> You got to go where the luck is. So maybe try and find the next TikTok. Be the one that hits the jackpot on a new platform or even TikTok, because right now there's still jackpots happening. I don't know if there are jackpots happening on YouTube necessarily. If you're growing on YouTube, it's probably because you're famous on TikTok and then started doing YouTube stuff. So interesting. So, you, yeah, you think that the biggest opportunity to get started and grow quickly today is a platform that's more new and then trying to yeah but also be stupid elsewhere. lucky like charlie d'amelio even admits this i was just watching her reality show it's she's just she's just a girl that was at the right place at the right time on the right platform and now she's an empire it's awesome but yeah i mean not saying that she's not talented and etc because obviously you have all of that you've listened to every episode of this podcast and you know that you need talent and resilience and habit forming and whatever else that you've learned. But you also need that luck element. So good luck. <laughs> I'm really grateful that Ali shared so much in this interview about the challenges she's faced, overcome and still faces today. It's easy to look at her creative platform of nearly 400,000 subscribers on YouTube 2 million followers on Twitter and her Patreon and think that she has it all. But as she shared with us here, there are constant challenges internally, externally, large and small, and burnout is a real threat, no matter how big your platform is. 
I'm glad we touched a bit on her team too. More and more, I hear creators tell me that they feel like they are the bottleneck in their business, but we don't talk enough about the teams supporting these creators or the teams needed to support these creators that haven't been assembled yet. In any case, I absolutely love the music that Ali puts out and I encourage you to check it out yourself. Links to her YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and more are in the show notes. Thanks to Allie for being on the show and letting me sample some of her videos. Thank you to Emily Klaus for making the artwork for this episode. Thanks to Nathan Todd Hunter for mixing the show and Brian Skeel for creating our music. If you like this episode, you can tweet at Jay Klaus and let me know. And if you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember to check out the new Creative Elements website, creativeelements.fm, and leave me a voicemail for a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.